Sometimes people make stuff up to fool people to make money. Sometimes they want to prove a fact using fake news. Sometimes it's just for fun and it's so outrageous that no one believes it. And sometimes it's for a good reason, like enriching a group's mythology via the perpetuation of their oral traditions or beliefs in something that they cannot see. Call it faith if you want. In this episode of the Somewhere Podcast, we are looking at hoaxes. Whatever the reason for creating them, one thing is for sure. The stories we're about to tell you are 100% made up, and they're 100% some weird. Welcome to the Somewhere Podcast, a podcast about strange and unusual stories told by us, a sister and brother team hailing from the island of Newfoundland. I am your co-host, Chrissy. And I'm your co-host, Barry. In this episode, we are wandering into stories about hoaxes. But instead of offering supposed true proof that Sasquatch or the Loch Ness Monster does not exist, we are going to tell you about some absolutely proven hoaxes. Hoaxes like the software that we use to record this doesn't work sometimes. It's not really a hoax. No, that's just straight up fucked up reality. To the listeners, this is a little peek behind the curtain. This is our second time doing the intro because the first time it just kind of crapped out us how to stop recording, so... I like how we both blamed each other. Yeah. Like, I think there's something wrong with your internet. It turned out it was me, by the way, everybody. Yep. That American internet. <laughs> yeah, but hoaxes, it's interesting. You know, the most famous ones you, you think about are, are, you know, Sasquatch, Loch Ness Monster, like you said. But uh, there, there's lots of more history that have been proven to be fake. But I think those ones, they actually tried really hard to make it seem legit. Well, I'm not fully convinced that those are hoaxes, though. Yeah, seriously? Well, I mean, don't you think it would be kind of arrogant to assume that you know all creatures great and small? Well, uh, okay, let me rephrase that. The proof that's been shown in history for Loch Ness Monster and Sasquatch have since been debunked. Or the most famous ones, like the yes. the one walking around in the woods and, and the picture that was in the Weekly World News for the Loch Ness Monster, right? Yes. Those items of proof are hoaxes, yes. Yeah. I would be more inclined to believe that the Loch Ness Monster is a real thing than Sasquatch. Yeah. Uh, because I don't live in a lake, so right. who knows what's in there. But who knows what's in the in the ocean there. They're always discovering new things in there, right? Yeah, for the longest time, they thought the giant squid was a hoax. Yeah, so. Anyway, that's not what we're about. We're about some other shit. So should we get it on the go? Let's do it. All right. So I'm going to tell you a story about the Cardiff Giant. You ever heard of this story? I have heard of that story, and every time I hear a Cardiff Giant because it comes up in conversation in daily life so often, apparently. <laughs> That's um, right. More than it probably does for normal people. But I always think of Cardiff as the capital of Wales, where they yes. shoot Doctor Who. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, no, the other Cardiff. Yeah. Everything is renamed over here in the United States and Canada. But yeah. I'm vaguely familiar with it, but uh, I don't know all the details. Okay. Well, here we go. We here at the Some Weird Podcast have always professed to legion rules. <laughs> Meaning we tend to stay away from discussions about politics and religion. Now, we, we have made a few jokes about Catholicism over the course of the show. Maybe more than jokes, I guess. But, you know, that's more about our personal experiences growing up, being raised Catholic and going to Catholic school. Right. Uh, it's not us actually, you know, making jokes about the faith itself. Because, you know, people can believe what they want. And I fully support and believe whatever anyone believes is, you know, it's yeah. their own business, right? Our own mother is a super Catholic. So, I mean, exactly. obviously we're not putting her down. 
And I certainly believe that religion can be a good thing. It's a source of comfort. It can be a source of community. You know, there's definitely a lot of good things in religion. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we have seen time and time again how people, many times religious leaders themselves, use people's faith against them in ways of scamming them out of wealth, land, and relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And so the story I'm going to tell you, it's not that extreme, but it is where someone got the idea based on people's religious beliefs and used that to create elaborate hoax for financial gain. Okay. The story is about a man by the name of George Hall. He was a cigar maker by trade, but he was also a staunch atheist and skeptic. This is back in the 1800s, right? So everybody okay. smoked then, right? Yeah. And how do you make a full career out of a, being a cigar maker? Is it that lucrative? I don't yeah. Know. I guess everybody smoked then, so I guess everybody I guess. everybody smoked, everybody needed cigars, so I guess it was, it was a lucrative business. Yeah, I, I'm not very good at economics, I guess. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, you use your money to, to measure distance. Not, uh... <laughs> I collect up all my dimes, is that what you're trying That's to say? That's right. So while he was on a business trip to Iowa in 1867, he started a conversation with a preacher. Paul was fascinated with the preacher's blind faith, and basically the guy believed everything that was in the Bible to be, you know, literal fact. Okay. So one specific passage that they were discussing in the book of Genesis was the preacher's belief that there were once giants in those days. Mr. Hall began thinking of ways to use people's faith as a way to disprove religion and make some money along the way. So he was thinking about this and then it hit him. He said, they want giants? I'll give them giants. Why are giants in the Bible? I don't know. Genesis 4, 6, I think, is the specific verse. I don't know what it is. I didn't look it up, but you know what? Through the magic of the internet and editing, we'll look it up right now. Okay. It was Genesis 6-4, not Genesis 4-6. It says, There were giants on earth in those days, and when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, the same became mighty men who were of old men of renown. That didn't make any fucking sense. This preacher, guys, he had the version of the book that said that there were giants on earth. <laughs> okay. And uh, Hall said, okay, well, if they want giants, they'll give them giants. So he purchased a five-ton block of gypsum in Fort Dodge, Iowa, and he claimed to the person he bought it off he was using it to make a statue of Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> why not? Yeah, because why not? I mean, he's a president. I don't know if he was president then, or he was at some point. So I figured, you know, no one would question making the statue of Abraham Lincoln. He then had to ship to a Chicago marble dealer, and he made a deal with this person to carve a 10-foot giant man out of this marble, or gypsum, and planned on pawning it off as a real giant. That was his big scam. Like the body of a giant? Yeah, so he's going to, like you wow. said, this big big old chunk of gypsum, he was going to make a 10-foot giant out of it. Okay. So he swore to marble dealer to secrecy and cut him on any profits he would make from the scam. Fair. So the sculptor used Hall as the model, and throughout 1968, he spent time carving this huge-ass giant. So it looked like him? <laughs> yeah, they kind of not look exactly like him, but I guess the, his features and everything else. And one of the things was he had hair and a beard, and he actually asked geologists would that ever become petrified or anything like that over the years, and they said no, the hair would fall out, so he made sure that the giant didn't have that carved into him. Okay, he did his research. He did, yeah. So the statue was of a naked man with his right arm draped over his stomach and his legs crossed, and he's having a bit of a half smile. So there's no word if Hall actually posed naked for the statue and said to make me well endowed or anything like that. Right, I don't know. of course that's the question that everyone wants to know. Yep. They then doused the exterior of this giant sculpture with sulfuric acid to give the statue an aged look. And even drove pins on it to kind of replicate skin pores to make it look as authentic as possible. Oh, that's pretty elaborate. Yeah. So when it was completed, it weighed over 3,000 pounds and it was 10 feet tall. So he got his statue done. So here's the next phase of his plan. Uh, this entailed burying a giant in a location and have someone accidentally finding it. 
So, I mean, you got you to gotta love this guy's commitment to the con, right? Yes. Wait, this must have cost a lot of money, too. Oh, it did, yeah. I think it was like $53,000 in today's money when it was all said and done. Wow. I don't even want to spend 13 bucks on lunch. Yeah, no. I know. I had Mary Brown's today. It was $39. And I was a bit... Uh, what? For the family, not for just me. But that's still only three people. Yeah. It was good, though. Yeah, it is good feed. Best legs in town. <laughs> he settled on Cardiff, New York, and there was a farm there that was owned by a distant relative of his named William Stubb Newell. Now, this is not the William Newell that normally wins Ted and Barry trivia. <laughs> which is a joke maybe one other person will get who listens to this. But Hall told Newell of the plan and cut him in on the scam. And once on board, he had the statue transported from Chicago to New York by train. They had it in this big old encased box. So in November 1968, a year later, the two men buried the statue in Newell's property near the barn. They dug up this hole, they kind of found roots, and they tried to wedge the roots under the statue to kind of make it look like the roots. It was there a long time, and the roots grew over and all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Then they waited a year. So this thing's in the ground for a year. So again, you got to love the commitment on this. Wow, yes. October 16th, 1869, Newell hires two people to dig a well for his property. And of course, he tells them to dig it where they are after burying this thing, right? Okay. So the men start digging, and soon thereafter, the shovel hits a foot of the buried giant. Originally, one of the, the workers digging, they figured they hit the, the remains of an Aboriginal person, right? Okay. Cardiff was an area where many fossils were found over the years, so it kind of added to the plausibility of being able to find some kind of ancient giant there. Mm-hmm. As they found this and, and they kind of unearthed it, rumors start going around the town that a big giant was found. Everybody wants to see this thing, right? Mm-hmm. As you would. People began to theorize as to what the discovery was. Many people thought it was the remains of an ancient giant petrified by a nearby swamp. Petrified by the swamp or found by the swamp? I guess over the years, the swamp petrified it. Oh, okay. Lost its sense of direction. <laughs> uh, it's just a Simpsons yep. reference. You know what? That's what we're switching to. No more every time wrestling or back to the yeah. future. Every time Simpsons. Yeah, exactly. As speculation mounted, uh, Newell continued to play his part in the scam by saying he didn't want to disturb the remains. And he says, I'm going to rebury this. I don't want to disturb it. You know, we'll find another place to put the well. But his neighbors convinced him, he said, you know what, this discovery might have some kind of historical value, so you should probably, you know, dig it up. The newspapers found out, and the next thing you know, everybody wanted to come and see the Cardiff Giant. Uh, they began charging 50 cents a gander, and in the first week alone, over 2,500 people came to have a look. That's not bad. Yeah, that's 1250 right there. My son. So, okay, if you're living in Cardiff, New York in 1869, are you paying 50 cents to go see this giant? What do you think? So 50 cents then is what today? Five bucks, eh? 50 cents back then? Oh, I don't know, five, six hundred dollars? <laughs> nah, I, I don't pay that. If 50 cents was a reasonable amount, like the same, same would be the cost to see a movie or something like that in today's funds, I, I would definitely pay it to go have a look. Okay. What about you? Yeah, probably so. First, I would try to find a way to see it for free. Yeah. And then if that didn't work, then I'd probably pay the 50 cents. Yeah, for sure. Because mm-hmm. I guess they put a tent over it and they kind of, you know, made sure that you had to pay to go in to see it and all this kind of stuff, right? Yeah, businessman. That's right. So after a few weeks of this, a business group from Syracuse, New York, which is the uh, holiday mecca of New York. It sure is. Don't forget to go to the Dino's Barbecue Grill when you're there. Yeah. Basically one Christmas, for some bizarre reason, where Chrissy lives in New Jersey and we lived in Toronto, we decided to meet halfway, which was Syracuse, New York, to spend Christmas. Anyway, we had a lovely vacation. We played Simpsons Jeopardy that day. We did. (laughs) We did. Your husband was the uh, was the Alex Trebek. I'm sure he enjoyed it. Me and you and our, our other brother, Stephen, 
playing Simpsons trivia and I don't remember who won, but we were all like savage. And my husband was like, what the fuck is wrong with you people? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Anyway, that's Syracuse, New York. If you haven't been there at Christmas time, it's lovely. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, a businessman by the name of David Hunnam, or a group, actually, David Hunnam was the, uh, I guess, the, the leader of the group. Mm-hmm. They decided to exhibit, and they offered Newell $30,000 to buy a three-quarter stake in the, uh, the exhibit or exhibition or whatever. Originally, Newell refused, but after discussing with Hull, they accepted. I guess they figured, you know what? Let's cash out here now. Did he lose money on that deal then? No, no. I mean, he no, paid, okay. I, I think it was like... I think it was like $5,000 all said and done for the gypsum and, oh. and the sculptor and the transportation and all that. So he definitely made a lot of money on it. He made a big. Yeah. Okay. As news of the giant grew, many experts came to visit and determine its authenticity. Some did believe that it was centuries old, but not a man, but rather a statue carved by French Jesuits. And the thought was that they would use it to a carving to impress the Native Americans at the time. Okay. Others were convinced it was the petrified remains of an ancient giant. But again, as time went on, people started having doubts. Couple things here. Locals of the area claimed to have seen Hull in town a year before <laughs> transporting a giant box to the Newell farm. <laughs> nice. Which obviously would arouse suspicion that they find this there a year later. Bunch of armchair detectives there. Yep. A professor from Cornell University named Andrew White uh, noted that the location chosen for the well that the men were digging made absolutely no sense based on the landscape and position relative to house and barn. Okay. He goes, based on my opinion, the whole matter was undoubtedly a hoax. There was no reason a farmer should dig a well in the spot. It was convenient neither to the house nor the barn. There was already a good spring and stream of water running conveniently to both. So again, it made absolutely sense to put it there. Yep. A Yale paleontologist, a man by the name of Othniel, O-T-H-N-I-E-L. Othniel? What? 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 Spell it again? O-T-H-N-I-E-L. Othniel? What the hell? What kind of Quaker-ass name is that? Othniel Charles Marsh. So we'll go with Charles Marsh. So a guy by the name of Charles Marsh. There we go. He pronounced that the statue was of very recent origin after a quick examination. And he said he could see fresh tool marks on the giant from like the sculptor, right? Yeah, there you go. So I'm saying you bring in one geologist and they go, this is gypsum and not a giant. (laughs) That's right. But despite the growing skepticism, there was still interest in the giant. And perhaps the most interest came from uh, a famous showman of the time, a man by the name of P.T. Barnum. He's come up before for us. Yeah. He took interest and he offered uh, $50,000 to buy it off this uh, Syracuse consortium. They refused. So Barnum, in secret, and I don't know how you'd pull this off in secret, they say he kind of made a, a wax mold of the giant uh, and made his own giant. <laughs> how did he get such uh, unadulterated access? Yeah, I, I don't know. But anyway, however he did, he replicated the giant and made his own sculptor, right? Okay. And he began to display it in Manhattan. So his attraction read, what is it? Is it a petrified man, a statue, a fraud, the remains of a former race? And in his exhibition, he claimed that the Hunnam one was a fake and his was the real one. As newspapers began to run with uh, Barnum's exhibition, Hunnam was quoted as saying, there's a sucker born every minute. He made that comment in reference to people believing Barnum's was the real one. That quote has always been associated to P.D. Barnum himself. Yes. But apparently he didn't say it. This is the original Mandela effect. Yeah. According to my research, which if you can prove it to be false, uh, somewherepodcast.gmail.com. <laughs> there you go. So the sculptor that Barnum commissioned to uh, make his replica of the Cardiff Giant, he said dollar signs, so he started making more replicas. And by the end of the year, there were six of these floating around. Oh. 
as you know more show up people really start to question the legitimacy of it all in it's like you know in thousands and thousands of years of society we've never found one of these giants and now all of a sudden there's six right yeah so in early 1870 the cardiff giant went from fascination to ridicule hunnam ended up suing pd barnum the judge wanted hunnam to swear in the authentication of his own some people still claim it was real but even george hall himself began bragging about how he fooled everyone with the ruse and he eventually went to the press and explained to everybody the scam that he did and how he concocted it. I want to get in the time machine and go back and hear the conversation between him and the preacher that made him go this far with yes. his hoax. Like, what was the motivation? My God. Like you said, he was an atheist. He wanted to prove that uh, what the people believe in the Bible was wrong. And I guess he wanted to make some money. So that was the motivation. What triggering thing did that preacher say? Wow. Because he really went in all in the scam, right? He certainly did. In February of 1870, the Chicago sculptor who uh, Hull originally commissioned, he confessed to the scam to a newspaper and he kind of let it out that it was all bullshit, right? Yep. Despite this, the exhibition did continue, but the crowd started to dwindle as people began to realize it was a hoax. The, uh, the Cardiff Drawing passed ownership a few times before finally settling into a farmer's museum in Cooperstown, New York, which is the home of the Baseball Hall of Fame as well. And it remains there to this day. Really? If you want to go to Cooperstown, New York, you can go see it. Not really sure what became of the lawsuit between the two of them, but Hall actually tried to pull a similar scam again in 1877 in Colorado. He buried a man with a tail, <laughs> but nobody bought it the second time around. Okay. I guess he really enjoyed the first one, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, the commitment that he did, like he said, okay, I'm going I'm to carve this out, and then we're going to yeah. bury it, and we're going to wait a year. And like that's, that's a real commitment to the scam, right? The weirdest part about this is how far into the hoax this guy got. It was always his intent, I believe, at one point to just tell everybody it was all bullshit and I made it up and I can't believe you fell for it, right? Man, people don't like to be told that they're stupid, though, right? No, that's right. But, okay, I guess that was his cup of tea. Yeah, but that's the card of giant. Well, there you go. That's one of the hoaxes that somebody made just for spite. Yeah, he almost went too far with it, I think. Yeah, I mean... It's all fun and games until somebody feels stupid and like nobody yeah. wants to feel stupid. And I do wonder if the Simpsons episode where they found the angel when they were making the mall and everyone thought it was a, a real angel, if that was inspired by the Cardiff Giant. Yeah, it's kind of very similar, isn't it? Yeah. But anyway, I'm going to tell you the story about the Pacific Northwest Tree Octopus. The name itself would make you think right off the bat, nobody believes that that's a thing. But let me tell you about it. The internet's a great invention, right? Yeah. Without it, we wouldn't be doing this podcast right now, and we wouldn't be entertaining the ones of fans that we have. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a great invention. So we all need to say thank you to former U.S. Vice President Al Gore for inventing a way for us mere mortals to come across unfathomable quantities of information in mere seconds or minutes, if you're us, to look up where Cooperstown is. <laughs> Of course, Al Gore did find himself the butt of countless late 1990s and early 2000s late night talk show jokes with this isolated and misquoted statement, I created the internet. Do you remember that? I do, yeah. I don't know what the genesis of it was, but uh, I do recall people joked about him saying he created the internet. They did joke about him saying that, but it was a misquote. He didn't exactly say, I created the internet. Uh, what he really meant was that he was supportive of the promotion of the information superhighway. Remember when we used to call it that? Yes. Yeah, so he was supportive of that becoming a thing in the early stages of when it was becoming a viable option for mainstream usage. He wasn't saying he sat in like a little 
private lab and invented HTTP. But nevertheless, the internet did get invented somehow, and it has evolved into what we know it as today. Of course, a place where we can get as much misinformation as truthful information. Could you survive without the internet? No, absolutely not. I don't think anybody could anymore. I literally couldn't survive because I wouldn't be able to have a job. Yeah. Like, not this one. Well, I wouldn't be able to have this one either, but I wouldn't be able to have the job that makes money for me. That's right. I don't think anyone could survive without an internet. Well, I mean, you could survive, but, I mean, it's such an integral part of everybody's lives now that it would be very inconvenient to no longer have it. Oh, you don't even think about it. Like, my refrigerator has the internet, you know? Like, everything is connected. How else will the FBI know how much milk I'm buying? Anyway, the internet is full of a lot of misinformation as well. Deep fakes, fake news, cat videos, etc., etc., And this is probably why students are encouraged to not blindly use whatever websites come up on the first page of their Google search when they're doing research for school. Or podcasts. Maybe we should start putting a disclaimer that this is for entertainment purposes only. (laughs) Mm, The first time someone quotes our podcast in a bibliography, then I'll do that. (laughs) Um, Now, my kids are told in school, you're not allowed to cite Wikipedia at all. Don't even try. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Anybody can go in and do whatever. It's not peer-reviewed, blah, 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 blah. You're not allowed to use it. But fortunately, we at the Some Weird Podcast are not held to these high standards. Since this is an independent podcast meant solely for entertainment purposes, we do whatever the fuck we want. That's right. Bitch. (laughs) I think our listeners are hopefully savvy enough to know when we're joking and when we're telling at least allegedly true stories. But I also think that this comes with experience. Nobody you know, lands on the internet the first time and assumes some things are fake. I think I've probably been fooled a few times myself with some of the deadpan references that you've made, Barry, in this podcast. (laughs) Even if it was just for like a split second. Uh, I remember way back on our Bell Island boom, our first one and one of my favorite ones that we did, where you said off the cuff that the Russians sent a monkey into space and it came back super intelligent. (laughs) And for a second, I was like, wait, what? Did that happen? (laughs) Just for a second. So you could excuse people, I think, for at least for a split second thinking that something stupid is true. I did fall for a hoax recent, not recently, in the last five years, and I was very rotted that I did it. Oh? I'm not a Facebook person, but, you know, I do peruse it from now and then. And I saw an article that said that uh, Labatt's was going to stop producing Blue Star. And I was like, oh, no, no. And I even shared it on my Facebook, and then someone came back and said, that's a fake article, you know. And I felt so effing stupid. I, <laughs> I deleted the post. Okay. And for anybody who doesn't know, Blue Star is a local Newfoundland beer brand, which was my beer of choice for many years. But I think that in general, we're all a little bit more cynical now than we were back at the dawn of when the internet was becoming widely and commonly available. There was many a hoax created back then with varied and sundried intentions. Some were just for fun and some with less innocent goals. This is the story of a hoax that was more on the for fun side. The story, as I said, of the endangered Pacific Northwest tree octopus. In 1998, Lyle Zapato, not his real name, launched a campaign to save the elusive Pacific Northwest tree octopus via their website, HTTPS, I will show my age, colon slash slash zapatope.net slash tree octopus. The website is still up today, and you can go there and learn all about this majestic creature. 
Even though this is obviously not a real thing, I could see how this may give somebody pause. The website itself is written as a parody, but it's written in a very straight kind of deadpan sort of a way. It's not overtly funny, you know? It's a guy playing it straight. It's a guy playing it straight, which to me is some of the funniest humor there is. Oh, definitely. I love it when something is so ludicrous and someone plays it straight. I I love that. Oh, that's why we love um, I Think You Should Leave. I think so. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I think you're the only person I know that's a super fan of that show besides me. Yeah. No, I always try to introduce that show to people. And every time I do it, they're like, eh. Not me. You introduced it to me. I'm like, that's the best thing I've ever seen. Okay, so the the website is a parody, but it's written very straight, like I think you should leave. And it even gives a scientific name for the cryptid, I guess you could call it. They call it Octopus Paxarbolus. Octopus <laughs> Paxarbolus. I mean, I can't even pronounce it myself, so it must be a scientific word, right? Now, everybody knows that octopi are aquatic animals, so the absurdity of a species that lives in trees may seem blatant at first glance. But Zapato offers a semi-believable story by saying that the Pacific Northwest tree octopus is actually amphibious, and the moisture of the region's temperate rainforest makes it an ideal ecosystem for such a creature. They also explain that these octopi grow to an average of 30 to 33 centimeters and have evolved to navigate through the trees by tentaculation, a method of using its eight arms to feel along the branches and swing about them. Like Spider-Man. Exactly. Sort of like Spider-Man. But using smart sounding and difficult to pronounce words like tentaculation does add an air of legitimacy. This just sounds like one of those hinterlands who's who. (laughs) Yes, it does. This reminds me of a story of, I just heard this, of this abstract painting. It's been displayed upside down since 1945. There's no way that nobody would know the right way to hang this fucking painting unless you went to the artist and say, what is the right way to hang this painting? It's just a white background with a grid of yellow, red, and blue, and black lines. Like, you can't tell what's what. Nobody knew the difference, so they just hung it up, and apparently they found out that it was upside down for 70-odd years, but nobody wanted to step up and, and be stupid by saying, I think this is a dumb painting. It doesn't even, it's not even hanging right. Everyone was just like, oh, what a wonderful painting this is. Piece of art. Oh, it's so stupid. But nobody wants to come out and say, like, this isn't a thing. Yeah. Whether it's a subjectively cool art or conservation effort for a non-existent animal, people are more likely to believe what they see and read if they think it's from a legitimate source. Now, this website looks like a legitimate source, even though the contents is crazy. So is it like 1988 internet quality? I think it's 1998, yeah. Oh, 98, sorry. Yep. You can look it up. Uh, Maybe we'll put the link in the description so you can all go look at it. The Pacific Northwest tree octopus is said to be endangered, and there's a call to action for all nature lovers of the world to protect it. They even suggest some reasons why this elusive creature is endangered, and it's the same old story. Number one, overhunting by greedy-ass humans who want to make hats out of them. (laughs) Yes. This actually mirrors the true story of the beaver fur trade of the early European settlers in North America. They needed beaver furs to make fucking hats. That was their main deal. Uh, Number two is destruction of habitat by loggers. That's always very popular, like you're destroying the habitat. Yeah. And number three, while this last one is really just nature doing its thing, like leave it alone, 
the Pacific Northwest tree octopus is said to be overhunted by one of its most fearsome predators, which is the other famous cryptid of the area, Sasquatch. <laughs> That's great. What can I do to help, you may be asking, now that you know that this thing is endangered? Well, the website offers many helpful tips, such as writing your congressman, boycotting companies that use lumber that deplete their natural habitat, and signing an online petition to save the Pacific Northwest tree octopus since, and I quote, nothing activates activity like an internet petition. <laughs> you know what should be playing when we do this? What? And to anybody who doesn't know, that's the Hinterlands Who's Who. In Canada in the 1980s, they used to have these things called Hinterlands Who's Who, and it would be about endangered species and, and different animals. And it always start with that uh, soundboy at the beginning. Again, this website, if you read it for more than like six seconds, you know it's a joke, right? Yeah. But it had me questioning everything because some of the things on there seemed like it could be real. In the FAQ section... It says that the correct term is Pacific Northwest Tree Octopus, not Pacific Northwestern Tree Octopus. I mean, a lot of people say things the wrong way. So I'm like, okay, that adds at least a legitimacy aspect, right, to the website. And it also says that saying it the wrong way is analogous to saying Canadian geese instead of Canada geese. Then I had to go question if Canadian geese is the wrong way to refer to Canadian geese. Yep. Um, if you're wondering, it is. It's not Canadian geese, it's Canada geese. Oh, sorry. Yeah, but that's kind of the charm of the hoax. It's kind of like the birds aren't real, fake conspiracy theory, in that it's intentionally a hoax. It's not trying to put one over on anybody. It's really a parody. But bits and pieces in there can make you kind of go, hmm, okay, maybe part of this is true. The website also has a section with personal anecdotes from witnesses complete with grainy photos and grainier videos. But the question remains, did anyone actually truly believe that there was such a thing as the Pacific Northwest tree octopus? I'm going to say yes. Probably. I don't know. Some people think that uh, the earth is flat and vaccines are a way for Bill Gates to control you. I mean, people believe all kinds of shit. Yep. But there is an unintentional good to this website, too. This hoax did not seem to have been created for any nefarious intention. It's meant to be something that's silly. It's the minister of silly walks of internet hoaxes. Yeah, okay. If you spend more than 10 minutes, not even that, looking at the information on the website or watching these really terribly fake videos, you can plainly see this is meant to be a joke. And it's not meant to fool anybody. But we often don't really pay attention to the details. At first glance, the website looks legit. and even. If you just look at the first one and kind of skim through it, you might get the idea that this could be a real thing. After all, there are a lot of weird animals in the world. If you look at the platypus, back in the late 1700s and early 1800s, European scientists were convinced that the platypus was a hoax. There's no way that such a creature could exist. They said, how can an animal have a bill like a duck and a tail like a beaver and be a mammal but also lay eggs? This can't be real. And that's almost at least as weird as a tree octopus. Yeah. So because the zapatapi.net tree octopus site looks so real and it's written in such a deadpan way, educators started using it as a teaching tool for Internet safety classes to demonstrate that not everything you see online is true. Stranger danger. 
it's like Stranger Danger. They got a bunch of elementary school kids to look at it and then talk about the tree octopus. And well, some of them thought it was a hoax, but some of them thought it was a real thing because they read it on the internet. Because they started using it as a teaching tool, this cryptid hoax did the opposite of causing harm. It actually did good in the world. And if the creator of the website makes money from the sale of just for fun t-shirts and posters, then so be it. They deserve it for helping make the internet safer for kids, even if that wasn't what they meant to do. <laughs> so that's a tree octopus. It's meant to be a hoax. It probably fooled some people, even if there were kids. And it's used as a teaching tool to show like, you know, just because someone wrote it down doesn't mean it's true. I think we could do several episodes on various different hoaxes. Oh, for sure. I mean, there's, there's millions of them, right? Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. There you have it. There's some weird stories about hoaxes. What do you think about these stories? You could share your ideas with us at somewerepodcast at gmail.com. Or on Twitter for now, at least, at somewerepod. Or our website, somewerepodcast.com. If you haven't done so already, please follow or subscribe wherever you listen so you'll never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed this episode and you want to help us out, please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen so that others can discover us. And if you know anyone from Greenland or you are from Greenland yourself, ask them to please listen to the Sunweird Podcast. And don't be afraid to tell your other friends about the Sunweird Podcast. No listeners from Greenland yet. It's Sunweird, but... It's really fucking weird. It is. You know what else is weird? Stories about Cardiff giants and tree octopuses are some weird by. Some weird. Okay, so it's not Eve. Is that Genesis 4 6? Because Genesis 4 6 says Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. <laughs> wow! <laughs> and Cain was a fucking giant. He was 10 pounds. I almost tore her in two.